Warning, this podcast is a Korea Black production. This is a podcast for adults only. It is not a podcast for people who think podcast hosts should be emotional friends, spiritual advisors, surrogate parents, or role models for their children, grandchildren, or potential offspring. This podcast may contain all sorts of trigger warning type content such as graphic language, harsh judgments, and microaggressive behavior. If you are a sensitive person or reality challenged, or you only listen to podcasts that agree with your religious views, personal philosophy, ideology, or feelings about life in general, please do not listen to this podcast. All comments, compliments, and complaints should be sent to koreablack at koreablackproductions.com. Thank you. Now they were gone, all gone. Court's last gunslingers, the 13 survivors of a beginning class that numbered 56, were all dead. All dead but Roland. He was the last gunslinger, going steadily on in a world that had grown stale and sterile and empty. 13, you remember Court saying on the day before the presentation ceremonies, this is an evil number. And on the following day, for the first time in 30 years, Court had not been present at the ceremonies. His final crop of pupils had gone to his cottage to first kneel at his feet, presenting defenseless necks, then to rise and receive his congratulatory kiss and to allow him to load their guns for the first time. Nine weeks later, Court was dead. A poison, some said. Two years after his death, the final bloody civil war had begun. The Red Slaughter had reached the last bastion of civilization, light, and sanity, and had taken away what all of them had assumed was so strong with the casual ease of a wave taking a child's castle of sand. So he was the last, and perhaps he had survived because the dark romance in his nature was overset by his practicality and simplicity. He understood that only three things mattered, mortality, Ka, and the Tower. This is a passage from the Dark Tower series book two, The Drawing of the Three, written by Stephen King. This excerpt sums up the tragedy of what Roland's life was, is, and will become. That some people are born with a black mark on their soul, and because of this, pain and suffering become a sort of second skin that almost feels as natural as their own. Whether a person is damned by God or by choice is irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. When it's all said and done, the only true guiding principle in life is to survive by any means necessary. The story begins with Roland having a dream about something the man in black told him the last time they saw each other. That a sailor is drowning and nobody throws out the line. The sailor represents Jake a boy that Roland had grown to care for but chose to sacrifice in order to pursue his quest for the tower. But this dream has twisted the actual events into something Roland finds easier to accept. In this dream, Roland is the one who's drowning, not Jake. He believes he deserves to drown as penance for betraying the trust of a child. Suddenly, the dream ends due to the rushing of freezing cold water onto Roland's legs and crotch. Then he worries about his ammunition shells getting wet, but that's not his only concern. There is also a monstrous-looking creature coming towards him as well one that is about four feet long and looks very similar to a large lobster. 
After fighting and killing the Lobstrosity, Roland ends up losing two fingers on his right hand and a big toe on his right foot. And even though he survived, he was now severely injured and crippled. He was worried about infection and if the Lobstrosity's bite was poisonous. Then he wondered if he'd live to see another day. So what transpired here changed his Roland forever. Life was hard enough on a man in good health with perfectly working extremities, but now he was missing three, and two of them were on his gun hand, which always gave him an advantage when it came to surviving the trials and tribulations of his world. This was something that would always handicap him on his journey forward. As the story progresses, we find Roland in the midst of another dream, but it's probably closer to a nightmare, because Roland is replaying a conversation he had with an oracle, who tells him about a man being infested by a demon named Heroin. Then he sees a playing card floating down from nowhere, the card has a picture of a young man with a grinning baboon on his back. The baboon is holding a whip with his fingers buried deep within the man's neck. There is a look of sheer terror on the man's face, and suddenly Roland hears the man in black's voice say, The prisoner, followed by the phrase, A trifling upsetting, isn't he? repeated over and over again. You could look at this as residual mind games implanted by the man in black, or you could see this as a premonition for things to come. Either way, Roland will continue his journey come hell or high water. This despite the agonizing pain from missing body parts, the onslaught of infection, the lack of food and water, and his will to live coming ever closer to the edge of death. Roland will persevere for as long as Cobb will let him. Roland decides to head north and after several hours of walking, he finally comes across something that should not exist on a beach. He discovers a solid ironwood door standing upright with the words the prisoner written at the top of it. The door is six and a half feet tall with a gold doorknob designed to look like the face of a grinning baboon. The door had hinges, but was fastened to nothing. It just stood straight up as if it was attached to something. After examining the door, Roland decides to open it, and when he does, he enters into another world, the world of Eddie Dean, the prisoner. Roland is now in Eddie Dean's head. It takes him a while to understand what exactly is going on, but the door lets Roland's consciousness enter into Eddie's mind, which allows them both to exist at the same time within the same body. Roland is amazed at the differences in people's clothing, technology, and even the food. He can't believe he's in an airplane, which he calls a sky carriage, that's capable of flying three times higher than any bird. But then he discovers something quite disturbing. He realizes that Eddie is a drug addict, and this is the demon that the oracle in the woods was referring to. It was also the meaning behind the whip-carrying baboon on the tarot card that the man in black showed him back at the Golgotha. After a quick and intense getting-to-know-each-other-better conversation, Roland learns that Eddie has several pounds of cocaine strapped to his body. Roland refers to cocaine as devil dust and understands that, in Eddie's world, possession of it can lead to a man's incarceration. He also realizes that the flight attendants are suspicious of Eddie's behavior, so he decides to resolve the situation. Roland convinces Eddie to go into the bathroom so he can show him the door back to his world. Once they're back in Roland's world, they leave the cocaine on the beach. Then they return to Eddie's world back into the bathroom. The airline captain is banging on the door, and he has some custom security officers with him. They finally decide to bust open the door, grab Eddie, and take him to an interrogation room. But without any evidence of drugs on his body, they eventually let him go. As the story continues, we discover that Eddie is a drug mill for a gangster named Enrico Balazar. Some of Balazar's men have grabbed Eddie and brought him to Balazar's bar called the Leaning Tower. They want to talk to him about where he hid the drugs he was supposed to bring back from the Bahamas. Balazar is holding Eddie's brother Henry who is also addicted to heroin, as a hostage. They're keeping Henry high and locked away in a private room so he won't cause any trouble. So when Eddie confronts Balazar, the first thing he asks for is to see his brother. Balazar refuses to do so until he receives his shipment of drugs. So after some further negotiation, Eddie tells Balazar that the drugs are in Balazar's private bathroom. 
Even though this sounds ridiculous, Balazar has his men search the bathroom and they find nothing. Then Balazar has Eddie stripped down completely naked. This was so one of Balazar's men could insert their hand deep inside Eddie's rectal cavity. Side note, this is the type of stuff that always kept me from wanting to rob banks, sell drugs, or outright murder people that I don't like. For me, it never was about the right or wrong of the situation, or the possible 25 years to life prison sentence, or even being shot and killed. For me, it always came down to wanting to avoid that elbow deep rectal exam at all costs. And for some reason, law enforcement type people love to show you what the phrase, the long arm of the law really means just before they incarcerate you. That type of behavior will keep me far away from prison every single day of the week. And I know some of y'all might be into that sort of thing. And to that, I'll just say to each his own, just saying. So after Eddie and one of Balazar's men share an intimate moment together, Eddie says he has to go into the bathroom by himself to go get the drugs. Balazar can't decide if Eddie's planning some sort of trick or he's crazy or he's just plain stupid. But despite his suspicions, he agrees to let Eddie go into the bathroom and retrieve the drugs. But Balazar tells Eddie his top lieutenant, Jack Andalini, has to go on with him. Eddie has no choice but to agree, and both men enter the bathroom. While inside the bathroom, Eddie manages to pull Andalini through the door and into Roland's world. This is where Andalini meets Roland, and the two men attempt to kill each other. A gunfight ensues, where Roland fires a bullet at Andalini, but instead of hitting Andalini, the bullet enters into the cylinder of Andalini's gun. So when Andalini shoots his gun, the gun backfires, blowing off his hand and most of his face. Andalini was bleeding profusely and was in agonizing pain. He ran away from Roland and Eddie, but unfortunately for him, it was right into a swarm of lobstrosities, which ended up tearing his body apart. This was one of my favorite parts of the story because here was a battle-hardened gangster who was taken to a foreign world that he never even knew existed. And once there, he has a gunfight with an ancient gunslinger, but gets killed by mutant lobsters. I can only imagine his last thought must have been, if this is hell, then I regret the day I was ever born because there's no way he could have foreseen the gruesome death that befell him. Most people generally don't think about all the sins they've committed until just before their death. And on that day, every man, woman, and to a certain extent children have to reap what they've sown, which means a pound of flesh is due. But in Andalini's case, the Lobstrosis took several pounds of flesh and called it a night. Once Andalini was dead, Roland and Eddie headed back through the door and into Balazar's bathroom. But this time around, Roland went back in his own body. They could hear Balazar shouting for Andalini, and when he didn't answer, Balazar called for more of his men. While in the bathroom, Eddie found some packets of an antibiotic called Keflax. He put some of the packets in his pocket and the rest in the sink, and that's when Eddie overheard some very bad news. One of Balazar's men told Balazar that Eddie's brother Henry was dead. This led to Roland and Eddie charging out of the bathroom with guns blazing. When it was all said and done, Balazar and his men were shot to pieces and dead on the floor. However, they would soon find out that there was still one gangster left unaccounted for. This was a guy holding back during the main firefight and had a little surprise for Eddie. He lobbed the severed head of Eddie's dead brother Henry into the room, which caused Eddie to become emotionally distraught and mentally unstable. So Roland took it upon himself to kill the last remaining gangster. Then Roland could hear police sirens, so he had to convince Eddie to leave Balazar's place and head back through the door. After some extremely high-tension moments, Eddie finally agreed to leave. They grabbed the remaining Keflax and went back into Roland's world. Once they got back to the beach, the door slammed shut and fell backward onto the sand. Now the door was closed forever. Over the next several days, both men suffered greatly. As the story states, there is no time in hell. This statement is in reference to the pain of withdrawal Eddie was going through and the blistering fever combined with infection that was afflicting Roland. When they were strong enough to travel, 
Eddie would later admit to putting one of Roland's guns to his own head because he wanted to die. Roland asked Eddie what stopped him from doing so. Eddie said he felt that Roland needed him and that some people take comfort in being needed by others, even if they know the person that needs them doesn't give a shit about them. As the story progresses, Roland and Eddie continue northward on the beach until they run into another door. This door is labeled the Lady of Shadows. Roland goes through the door and returns with a young black female. We find out that this woman is in a wheelchair and has two personalities. One is called Odetta Holmes and another is called Detta Walker. Odetta Holmes is wealthy, educated, well-mannered, and a civil rights activist. Detta Walker is a creative personality caused by a childhood trauma. She speaks in low-brow, broken English and likes to shoplift from department stores as a form of rebellion against the system. She also hates all white people. The personalities switch back and forth for dominance depending on stressful or emotional situations. When Roland and Eddie discover the dual personalities within her, they are initially confused, but also wary of what this means, because the Detta Walker personality is extremely dangerous. Her hatred of white people knows no bounds. As Odetta's story unfolds, we find out that as a teenager, she was pushed onto subway tracks and then hit by an oncoming train, which severed her legs. This event is what gave birth to the separate personality known as Detta Walker. The dominant personality is always Odetta, but like I said before, Detta would surface from time to time, depending on the circumstance. When Odetta first came over into Roland's world, she believed it was just a dream. She used to have a lot of vivid dreams when she was a small child. The dreams were a side effect of another traumatic incident for which she was struck in the head by a brick, nearly killing her. The incident put her in a coma for three weeks. So once she arrived in Roland's world, she believed she was dreaming again. Eddie tried to convince her that this was not a dream, but Odetta refused to believe him. As time moved on, eventually the Detta personality would take control. Detta would make traveling very difficult for Roland and Eddie, from her constant screaming at night so they couldn't sleep, to her holding the handbrake on her wheelchair, making it more difficult to push her on the beach. She also refused to eat, because she believed the food they were giving her was poison. All of this combined with the fact that Roland had run out of Keflex. His infection was coming back, which was causing him to get weaker by the day. Their time with Odetta slash Detta was a never-ending torment. Due to Roland not being strong enough to walk any further, he had Eddie push Odetta to the next door and come back for him with the wheelchair. Once Eddie dropped Odetta off, he went back for Roland. When they returned to the door, Odetta was gone. They both knew what had happened. Odetta switched to Detta and was hiding somewhere in the bushes near the beach. But the real problem was, Eddie gave Odetta one of Roland's guns for protection and Detta wanted both men dead. But despite the situation, Roland needed to go through the door and wanted Eddie to come with him. Eddie refused to go because he wanted to search for Detta. So Roland gave Eddie a second gun for protection and went through the door alone. This door led Roland into the mind of Jack Mort. Jack Mort was a certified public accountant who also happened to be a serial killer. Roland was horrified to learn that not only was Jack responsible for dropping a brick from a high-rise window onto Odetta's head, but he also was the man who pushed her onto the subway tracks, which led to the loss of her legs. Roland was disgusted by the fact that not only did this man truly enjoy hurting people, but he also reveled in the fact that it also hurt their loved ones as well. Killing people is what Jack Mort lived for, and because of this, Roland realized that the third drawing known as the Pusher was death. Back in Roland's world, Detta was able to capture Eddie in hog time with a series of slipknots. Detta was going to use Eddie as bait to kill Roland and go back through the door, but if Roland did not arrive before nightfall, Detta was going to let the Lobstrosities eat Eddie alive. This leads us back to Roland robbing a gun shop for ammunition and a drugstore for more Keflax. Then Roland decides it's time for Jack Moore's horrible life to come to an end. So Roland goes to the same subway station where Odetta lost her legs and then leaps onto the subway tracks of an oncoming train. 
Seconds before the train cuts Jack's body in half, Roland is able to go through the door and back into his own world. Once Roland is back in his own body, he hears Eddie screaming for his life. The Lobstrosities are just a few feet away from ripping him to shreds. Roland is too weak to drag Eddie's body to safety, so he tries his best to keep the Lobstrosities at bay. At this same time, Odetta and Detta are in a struggle for dominance over their body. Odetta ends up being the winner, but the two personalities are now merged into one. They are now Susanna Dean. The name Susanna is Odetta's middle name, and Dean is in reference to being Eddie Dean's wife. Once their battle for supremacy is over, Susanna shoots the Lobstrosities and saves both men from dying a horrific death. As the story continues, Roland's health is returning to normal, and his body is getting stronger day by day. The trio have left the beach and are now traveling through wooded terrain. This brings us to a private conversation between Roland and Eddie, for which some hard truths are laid out on the table. Roland tells Eddie that he will continue to seek out the tower, no matter what happens to each of them. Then Eddie tells Roland his quest for the tower is similar to his brother's quest for heroin, except it was a white tower filled with poison, and it ended up killing him. Eddie continues to say that if you kill what you love, you will end up damned. Roland responds by saying he is damned already, but maybe even the damned can be saved. I started this review by reading an excerpt that was in remembrance of the dead. It was in reference to the rite of passage of boys becoming men, men becoming soldiers, and soldiers becoming the leaders of society. This was a way of life that came to an end generations ago, with all of its final participants dead and gone except one, Roland Deschain, the last gunslinger, a man given the power to draw three, so he can continue his fateful journey to the Dark Tower. The three he was given had no connection to the traditions he knew or the world he knows. He was bound to these foreign-born strangers for unexplained and mysterious reasons. Each time one was drawn, the next selection would be more disturbing than the last. One was infested with the demon of drug addiction. Another one's soul was twisted by madness born from a traumatic event. And the third one was a worshiper of death itself, whose mark on the world was deemed to be so abominable that his very existence was unworthy of continuing. So with the killing of the third, this left the first two remaining. The story mentioned earlier, there is no time in hell, but as time moves on, these new gunslingers will soon learn that the man they are following was created from hell's own fire. And once you submit to the darkness, you can no longer see the light. My thoughts on this book are very different from the ones I had about The Gunslinger. And to be perfectly honest with you, I hated reading this book the first time, and I feel the same goddamn way my second time through. I started reading the Dark Tower series for two reasons. One, because it was a supernatural western. And two, because it was based on Sergio Leone films. This book spends way too much time in New York City and doing that ridiculous fish-out-of-water trope bullshit that I absolutely hate. I did like the gangster shootout scene and the gangster versus Roland on the beat scene and even the Detta Walker versus Roland and Eddie beat scenes. But I prefer Roland in his own element so I can explore his world through his experiences. I really don't care about seeing him in any type of modern day setting because that's not what I wanted to see in the series. I realize I'm in the minority with this viewpoint since the drawing of the three is considered by most Dark Tower fans to be the best of the series. But to me, it completely lacked what I truly liked about Roland and his world in the first place. And I wish the new gunslingers had been drawn from his world instead of the modern day one. So I'm giving this book a one out of five. 
As we continue the journey, I'll be reviewing the third book in the Dark Tower series, The Wastelands. So until next time, goddammit. <laughs>